Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober. Along with pesticides and GMOs, another chemical compound which we need to avoid in our foods are perfluorinated chemicals, or PFAs as they're often referred to. They're also known as forever chemicals because they build up in your body from consuming products with them and remain in your body for several years. In addition to food, they're often found in products used to cook. Here to talk with me about PFAs is Leah Segedy, founder and editor-in-chief of the blog Momovation, author of the book Green Enough, Eat Better, Live Cleaner, Be Happier, All Without Driving Your Family Crazy, and founder of the ShiftCon Convention. Leah, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be on your show. Yes, it's great to have you on because I've long been a friend of yours and very much an admirer of everything that you do with Momovation and ShiftCon and a lot of the stuff that you discuss on your blog, very similar to me, it's a lot about products and geared towards the consumers. Yeah, no, I'm super interested in solving my problems at the grocery store and also at the same time sharing the information I get with everybody else so everybody can be informed at the same time. Oh, me too. Yes, because a lot of my blogs, it's sharing what I've learned about other products. There's a lot of work I've done on PFAS in the past two, three years, and I know you want to talk to me about that. And it's I have to warn you, I'm a little bit obsessed about this chemical <laughs> class, so I could literally talk about it for five hours if I wanted to. And I actually spent all day this morning talking about it, so I've already been two, three hours down. So let's see if you can get another like 30 minutes to an hour out of me, because I think you can. I think so, too. I think it can be a good ref and <laughs> get a good hour of you, but make sure that, yes, it's not another five hours. <laughs> Well, I am a little obsessed, so I, it doesn't bother me actually at all. I think I'm the one that annoys everybody else with my like for information about this one class of chemicals that's literally like in almost everything. And then, you know, oh, at least someone wants to listen to me, right? Instead of me just like talking to my husband about it or talking to the kids or, you know, my mother, because, you know, that's kind of the people that are around me all the time. They're kind of tired of it, but I'm so glad someone else wants to hear me <laughs> for a change. Oh, me and I'm sure my listeners will be glad to learn more about it. So we'll get into the PFAs in a little bit, but before we do, tell us a little about your blog and how you got started writing it. Yeah, so Momovation has been around for well over a decade. I think we're on year 12. And prior to that, five years before that is when I got my start in social media. And so I'm like, oh, 15 to 16 years in social media now, maybe 17. I think if I looked back, it might be even be 17. But started off as a mom who lost over 100 pounds. And, you know, everything to me was about weight loss when I started. And because of my weight loss, I got written up in all kinds of magazines and got covered in a newspaper. And I used to have a blog called bookieboo.com, which isn't really around anymore, but it was on the main platform. And on that platform, I just had a bunch of professionals that would write for my site and I organized the community. So I was constantly surrounded by pediatricians, personal trainers, nutritionists, dietitians, you know, and all these people who were very consumed and so much of an expert on health and how that pertains to families, particularly women, and as they're bringing up families. 
And I did that for five years and decided that I wanted to get more involved with women, you know, one by one. And I created Momovation. And Momovation.com is a lot different back then than it is today. Back then, what we used to do is we organized all of these like boot camps for moms. And it was like weight loss boot camps. And we did that for five years. And essentially what I did was it's kind of like we took the biggest loser on TV and we adapted it for social media. And we kind of went calling all cars, moms that want to lose weight, that want a pediatrician involved and a personal trainer and a nutritionist and all of these brands to send you all these products and services for free, sign up, you know? And so we kind of like had an application service and we selected two moms and we did these campaigns four times a year. So it was a quarterly. And over that time, we had the month plus the community following along lost over 2,500 pounds. So it was like this incredible amount of weight loss that was had. It was all about, you know, health and fitness. It was helping moms. And it was also showcasing the challenges that these women were going through. Well, as that was going on, what I realized was health isn't just about weight. You know, and that was one of the things that I learned. It took me a long time to learn that, but that's what I learned was that there's these chemicals in commerce that have nothing to do with weight that can get into your body based on other things, you know, so and they're called obesogens. And these obesogens can be consumed through health food. They can be consumed through other means and they can stop your weight loss goals and they can make you sick in other ways. And so I, at that point, when I started learning all of these things about obesogens, started to reach out to all of these scientists that were on the cutting edge of researching these chemicals and brought them in as my advisors. And so for a few years, I spent like a deep dig with all of these like research, you know, they have journals out there on the forefront of all of these chemicals, learning from them how to avoid these chemicals in commerce. And that informed me to be able to write my book because it was based on what I learned over those years and informed me to be able to create, you know, Momovation and do what it does today. And Momovation is a lot different than it used to be, you know, 10 years ago when we were doing those weight loss campaigns. We don't do those anymore because I realized, my gosh, this isn't the big picture. The big picture is actually these hormone disrupting chemicals that can get into all these other things. And if you're eating a health food, you could be still consuming them. And weight loss is not the end-all, be-all of health. You actually have a lot of other things to deal with, you know. And so as I grew in my understanding, informed by, you know, the latest research and the latest science on all this stuff, so did Momovation. And today what Momovation does is kind of as I changed kind of like a butterfly and what I realized what I needed in my personal life and what my community needed was not necessarily these boot camps, but an answer. They wanted to know what are the best products for my family based on all of this research, based on everything that we know, what's the best peanut butter? What's the best ketchup? What's the best cookware? What is the best selection or what's the better selection, you know? And so what we do on Momovation is we do these, I call them category investigations where we go after one industry. Let's say, for instance, tea, because tea is something that's going to go up today. Mm. And I learn as much as I can from the scientists, from all the consumers, from people behind the scenes in the industry, what can go wrong with tea and how can tea, when you're drinking it, is there any hormone disrupting chemicals that you can be consuming and where do they come from? And so, for instance, with tea, 
those bags are a big deal because those bags can have plastic in them and it can have PET plastic or it can even have bio-based plastic. And the bio-based plastics, when you heat them, they're not so much better than the regular plastics. And that's some of the new science that we're learning about the new bio-based plastics. The other things is there's other chemicals that they can use to process this paper that are endocrine disrupting chemicals. And so my job as Momovation is to, first of all, find out what are all the tea companies out there and then find out as much as I can from online sources of what they're doing. And then at that point, if I can't answer these questions very easily, then we either have to start testing or we have to start emailing them and asking them questions based on what's in your product. So for tea, for instance, we had to send out emails to all the companies to ask them, are they using these specific chemicals to process your tea bags? And what are the tea bags made of? Are they have PET in them? Do they have other bio-based plastics? And what their response is to me, you know, we put in a database and then in Momovation, you will see a discussion of all the things that we're looking at. And then at the very bottom of the post, not our favorite brands, which are kind of like the brands I say don't touch with a 10-foot pole, (laughs) the better brands, which are the brands that are doing it better that you're probably are easier to find in the marketplace. Like you're probably more likely to be able to find them in a grocery store. And then the quote unquote best brands. And a lot of the best brands are, you know, the purest of the pure. That's where your unicorns are frolicking, eating organic Tootsie Pops and stuff like that. And, you know, that's the best thing that we have out there. And sometimes those best brands are not available very easily. And so they're online only, you know, and sometimes it's like that. And other times they are available. But for the purposes of the consumer that we have, which is a lot of moms, they just want their questions answered. They don't care, you know, a lot of times of like all the details in the front. So you have to like scroll down through the 3000 words, you know, where we're explaining everything and linking it to the different studies and stuff. They want to go down to the bottom yeah. and just tell me what to do. <laughs> and so we make it pretty easy for them to do. If they want to be informed, they can be informed and read through everything. And if they don't, they can just go down to the bottom and be like, bad, better, best, click and buy it. And so that's kind of like the service. I really do look at it as an active service to my fellow women. Sorry, Erin, I know you're a dude, but most of these women. And I see it really as a service, as my active service to other women that are struggling with similar things that I'm struggling with. But the only difference between us is that I have at my beck and call, so to speak, and by text and by email, these amazing professionals that work in all the different realms of science that are doctors, you know, and all kinds of people that can inform my decisions and help me make those decisions and then hand that over to the consumer and say, look, this is what we figured out. And so that's kind of like, you know, the service that I perform for everybody. But when I get obsessed with a chemical, it's usually because there's not a lot of people there, you know, it's like, so when Momovation, you know, goes after something, we're not in the realm of everybody's doing this. We're always in the realm of this is the cutting edge, you know, and, and trying to break new ground and figure out what's going on, which is why you see me being obsessed with perfluorinated chemicals, because it's not like you're going to see it on an ingredient label. Oh, we've got a ton of perfluorinated chemicals in this product. You're not going to find that on a label or very, 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 like very rarely are you going to find it on a label. Maybe every once in a while you'll see it something like that or a perfluorinated chemical that's being called out in like a cosmetic brand, maybe, but it's very rare. And so I have to dig down into the world of contamination and processing and manufacturing equipment and how things are transported and testings at labs to be able to answer questions for women that should be answered on the label, but our government and entities and the lobbying and all that stuff prevents us from really knowing what's going on with these products and services and all this 
stuff that we're consuming every single day. So that's kind of where I see myself is in that realm of the gray area, you know, where you're being impacted by this. This is impacting your health, but you don't know it's there and they're not going to tell you it's there. And it takes a lot of digging to figure out the truth about it. As you talked about, you focus on a lot of different chemicals found in foods. And one of those, especially which you've been focusing on recently, is PFAs. How did you first come to learn about the dangers of PFAs? Oh, many years ago. I think it was like maybe six or seven years ago, understanding that it's in firefighting foam. So one of the problems with perfluorinated chemicals, if, if you think about it, I'm going to give you a little bit of a rundown because it's a very, very confusing category, which is why I believe not a lot of people are kind of working in that field or not as many people understand about it. But it's basically it's 9,000 plus chemicals out in commerce. They're divided into two sections. It's short chain and long chain. The long chain chemicals are the ones that you heard about. Teflon, Gore-Tex, you know, things that have gotten into the water supply, things that movies have been made of. Those are the long chain chemicals. And that's how it started out. When those long chain chemicals, when people figured out that they were all toxic, and there's like 4,000 of those, 4,500 or something like that of them. Those are the grease proof stain-proof, waterproof chemicals of the last 40 years. They are very useful. It's the reason why a lot of times when you're wearing a jacket, the jacket doesn't get soaked with water. You know, it's the reason why your carpet, if you had carpet and bought it like five, 10 years ago, you know, it repelled stains. These are things that living through chemicals that we thought were the coolest thing ever. And everybody put them into their homes and it's all over the place. The problem is, after years of using it and those chemicals getting into the water source, we realize that they're pretty toxic as well. And when I say toxic, I don't mean just a little bit toxic. I mean toxic as in it messes with your immune system. And that's a lot of what these chemicals do. The chemicals, they go into your body, they mess with your immune system, but they're also very particularly bad for men because inside your body, they pretend that they're androgens. And so inside a body of a man, you know, your body's like doing its thing. And then it's like, oh, we got plenty of androgen in here. Let's stop producing as much as we need right now and start lessening the amount. So your body reacts to it by driving down your immunity. If you're a man, it pushes down your testosterone. It also messes with actually vaccinations. So because it messes with your immune system, if you get a vaccine, you're less likely to have it work in your body. You know what I'm saying? And that's a lot of studies have been doing on that too. So that's really bad for COVID. It's cardiovascular disease. We're talking about it affects the growth and learning of children. So if you're a mother and you're pregnant and you're exposed to a lot of perfluorinated chemicals, it messes with all of the systems of growth in the body. So it's like learning and behavior and IQ. It's also got an increased risk to allergies and asthma. It lessens your ability to get pregnant if you're a woman and to get a woman pregnant if you're a man. There's a lot of stuff about sperm counts, <laughs> ironically smaller penis sizes, I'm not joking with that. That was a study they did in Italy that they were able actually to see, you know, in utero what women were exposed to PFAS and what women weren't. And they were actually able to measure the penis size of the boys. And there was a difference in that as well. So it's like one of those chemicals that it's just really bad. It's just really, really bad. The problem also is with this is it's very ubiquitous. And when I say that, I mean... There are stain-resistant chemicals everywhere, and we don't even realize that they're there. So 
every single human being in the United States will have this chemical inside them, including in breast milk of women who are breastfeeding. So when I started learning about this chemical, I was like, why aren't people screaming and yelling and testing this like crazy? And I just realized, well, I got to be the person to do that because you got to start somewhere, right? And so with this chemical, there are over 9,000 of them. If you take the short chain chemicals and the long chain chemicals, and there's a lot of politics behind the scenes where the chemical companies have kind of given up on the long chain chemicals and trying to defend them. They stopped defending them because there's so much science to say that they're bad. And now what the chemical companies are doing is they're double downing on the short chain chemicals. And so those are the ones that were created to replace the long chain ones. But the problem with those chemicals are is that they're so teeny tiny that now we're learning they're bioavailable. They get into your body easily, more easily. They get into the environment more easily and they're harder to get rid of. And so it's almost like we should have stayed with the big stuff, you know, because the little stuff is harder. But the chemical companies are doubling down and they're saying, no, no, these chemicals are safe. These are fine. And, you know, it's kind of a -a whack-a-mole with the scientists on the 9,000 different chemicals and which ones do you prove are toxic and which ones do you, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a complicated problem. So in Europe right now, they're trying to tie the whole chemical class together to say that it's all one thing, let's treat it as one thing. You know, the different states right now, like Maine and California and New York and those kind of states are passing laws right now as we're speaking to draw them together as a chemical category and start legislating where you can and cannot have it. The problem here is a lot of, when I say ubiquitous, it's in everything. So it's in manufacturing equipment, and so it gets into food, and it's this and then that. So right now where the government is, is they're looking at levels, and they're saying, okay, if it's above this level, then it's okay. If it's below this level, then it's not okay. And so for my purposes, those levels are too high for me. So we're going down even further, you know. I wouldn't be surprised that they Yeah, are. yeah. So we're going down even further and being a more pain in the butt. It's always that way with any compound. Yeah, it's a big quandary, so to speak. So, you know, the question is then, how do you know something like this is in a product? That makes it even more complicated. Because you remember when I went back to saying there's 9,000 of these chemicals? Yes. The possibility of testing for them is about 150 of them at a university lab. So not at a commercial lab. So if you know the guy that's the head of the lab in North Carolina that does that lab, you can get 150 of these isolated and test for so that you know, okay, it's this chemical, this chemical, and this chemical up to 150. But most commercial labs can do between 30 to 60 of them. So that's a big disparity from 50 to 9,000. And so if, if you really want to look at the full picture, you've got to look at fluorine because fluorine is the chemical that they all have in common. So what we do is we go and we send consumer products and we test for total fluorine. And if we find fluorine at a certain level that's above 10 parts per million, which is kind of where most of our technology tests for, then we test again for organic fluorine. And so what that does is it says, okay, of this total amount, which is fluoride, you know, which comes in water and different things. And it kind of takes that out and says, okay, this is all the synthetic fluorine, basically. And I can say at that point, this is indicative of PFAS, you know. And so there's different food packaging. The food packaging industry has this similar standard. And I've kind of copied what they did is I looked out and I said, what is being done right now to be able to ascertain 
what level is safe and what's not safe. And they don't have the answer to that question. But what they do have is this is what we can test for and this is what we can certify as compostable. So if you look up online, there is a certification industry called BPI Industries and they certify composting. So it's like food packaging and stuff like that. So it's like you went to In-N-Out Burger and you got a burger wrapper. That burger wrapper company wanted to get their burger wrapper certified as compostable if they were made from components that would break down. They would have to get it tested for total fluorine, and then it would have to be under 100 parts per million to be, quote unquote, non-intentionally added and to qualify. So they're not necessarily saying that there's no PFAS in it. They're just saying that the levels are so low, it's more contamination than it is intentionally added. Therefore, we're allowing you to compost it. And so that's kind of where the industry is at. It's not perfect. It's not really great. But it's kind of what we have right now as a step one. So I took that standard and I adapted it to period underwear, which was the first investigation that we did. And what Momovation did is we basically purchased 20 different products of period underwear. They were expensive, yes. We sent them off to the lab to test for fluorine. And we found that 65% of those products that we sent off had detectable levels. And so then what we did is we put together our investigation based on what food packaging does and said, okay, 10 parts per million was basically where we can detect it. Anything underneath 10 parts per million, we will say is best because those are non-detectable levels. And that was about, I believe now we're up to seven brands that are quote unquote best. Anything above 10 parts per million up to hundred parts per million, which was that food packaging standard. That's the area of quote unquote better where I don't think that these brands intentionally added in a chemical They're just getting it based on manufacturing sprays or something like that that's happening in that process. Those were better brands. Then the bad or the not our favorite brands, you can't call them bad because, you know, we don't want to get sued. Mm -hmm. And the not our favorite brands are the ones that have something above 100 parts per million. And so that's right up against your hoo-ha. I'm I'm not going to say vagina too many times because I think, you know, I don't know how people like to, you know, food in vaginas. I don't know. (laughs) But anyways, I had to say it at least once. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't know. We're kind of getting into the R-rated appropriate omnivore, this show. So that's how I did it. And everybody was so interested in this investigation, we decided to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. So we did bamboo flooring because everybody was asking me, well, what's the best flooring? And I'm like, well, pick one. And so we did bamboo flooring and we tested eight different bamboo flooring brands and found one of them, just one of them was non-detectable flooring. We put that up on Momovation. We did ketchup the other day and that didn't shock me because of all the labs that I've seen, but it was still really shocking. We did about, I want to say 12 different ketchup products. And of those 12 different ketchup products, basically Heinz is the only brand that came up with non-detectable levels. Heinz and Whole Foods 360 Organic. Those two brands are the ones that did it. And all of the other ones that I tested, I tested Primal. Everyone loves that one because it's in glass. I tested Annie's Organic. I tested True Made. I tested all of them. I think it's all of them, but like three. They all had detectable levels. And then what I was trying to do is I dug down. I was trying to figure out what is it about the ketchup industry that makes it so contaminated? And behind the scenes, I got to talk to a lot of people who worked in the food industry. And they're just like, 
oh, well, it's absolutely the manufacturing equipment or it's absolutely this or it's absolutely that. And so, you know, I've been able to put together a lot of clues of how this is happening. One thing I learned about ketchup in particular, after interviewing a guy who used to be the CEO of one of these companies, he was able to kind of talk to me offline and say, there's only two other manufacturing companies that produce ketchup. And basically all of these brands are using one of these two guys. And Heinz is the company that kind of controls things from start to finish. And so the reason you're seeing that difference is because, well, these are Heinz products and all of these are not the Heinz products. And so how is this happening? There's a lot of ways that perfluorinated chemicals can get into your food with each product. I don't know the answer to every single one, but there's a lot of commonalities between these products that I've been able to discover based on interviews that I've done with a lot of these brands. One of them, and this is a really big one, is the manufacturing equipment. So if you go and search, just search how is ketchup made, right? You can search that and you'll come up with a couple of videos that show all of this stuff With the manufacturing equipment, it looks like stainless steel. You know, you'll see the tomatoes coming from the farm, and they go down the ramp, and they're in stainless steel, and they get washed, and there's all this suds, and then it goes down this other ramp with all this stuff. Well, a lot of that stainless steel equipment is actually full of nonstick. So the Teflon pans that we no longer use in our homes anymore because they're coated with perfluorinated chemicals, well, they didn't stop using them in the factory. So essentially, they're using those stainless steel pans, but they're big, huge equipment. And that equipment could be like a paddle that is stirring the ketchup. And because ketchup is so acidic, it's sucking the perfluorinated chemicals right out of the paddle. And it's going to get into the formulation. So there's also when the ketchup goes up this, oh, I don't know what those things are called, where it kind of like pulls it up the thing and it's got like on equipment, all of those things could have nonstick on them. And if they're hot, whatever it's using is hot. That's a way things can leach out. If whatever that formulation is hot or if it has a lot of fat in it or, you know, if it's a highly acidic, those types of formulations of food will leach out plasticizers and perfluorinated chemicals and all kinds of things from the equipment itself. And so that's kind of one of the ways it happens. Another way it happens is clean out processes. So this is where brands, these manufacturing companies or a brand, if they're producing their own stuff, will clean the equipment and they want to do that. That's an important thing to do. But the cleaning solutions that they're using are perfluorinated in nature. And so you could be getting residue from these cleaning products getting into a formulation. Another way that this could happen is actually the transportation of these ingredients from third world countries or different parts of the world. They're called totes. So there's these things called totes. And what the totes actually are, they're not tote bags like we would think of that we would carry to the store. No, they're these actually big, huge plastic vats. They're called totes. And when they put these raw ingredients, be it coconut oil, be it chia seeds, I don't know what it is. But when they put it in these totes, these totes are sometimes coated on the inside with nonsticks. And sometimes they're made from PVC. So when you put something in like a big boat and that boat is baking in the sun over the ocean and it gets hot in there, these chemicals are leaching out of this plastic vat or this stainless steel vat that's coated with nonstick into the ingredient. And then another way that this happens, well, there's two other ways. 
There's lubrication. This is big in the supplement industry, actually, where there's certain things that have to be fed through tubes, right? And a lot of natural ingredients get stuck and clogged because they're made from natural things. So these manufacturing companies will coat the equipment with a perfluorinated chemical, like a nonstick chemical, so it shoots through the machine easier. So there you go. There's another exposure level. And then the last thing that we've discovered is plastics. And plastics are really interesting because for the past, oh, I believe it was 1983. So 1983, I'm doing this from off the top of my head to see if I remember this. In 1983, the FDA did a review on perfluorinated, fluorinating poly ethylene. So polyethylene, which is the number one and two plastics, are allowed to be fluorinated. And the FDA has done a review on it. But what's not allowed to be fluorinated is polypropylene, which is the number five plastic. Well, these are all the quote unquote safe plastic. We've been saying forever, don't use PVC, don't use vinyl because that's toxic. Don't eat from styrofoam because that's toxic. Well, what we didn't know, and nobody knew this until basically this year and last year, was that a lot of these plastic manufacturing companies have been fluorinating the quote unquote safe plastics. Because what happens over time is like, let's say you have a bottle of ketchup, so to speak, right? And we didn't find any fluorinated plastic in ketchup. I tested three bottles, but I'm just using ketchup as an example. There's a lot of things that interact with plastic that warp that plastic over time. And those things can be like pesticides, those types of chemicals, different types of shampoo chemicals, things that are very, very fragrant and things that are like, have a really intense spice to it. Those types of chemical reactions can warp the plastic over time. So if you take it off the shelf and it's not a fluorinated plastic, and let's say those chemical reactions happen, the plastic can start to get warped. And you'll look at it and you'll be like, what the heck? So there's a lot of plastic companies that are fluorinating plastic and not telling the consumer, sometimes not even telling the brands. And the brands will be buying these fluorinated plastics. We found this a little bit in the beauty industry, that it was happening in the beauty industry. And so the brand doesn't know that it's a fluorinated plastic, but it's getting into the formulation over time. And then we're using it. So that's another way that we're exposed. So there's like all of these different avenues in terms of food and food production that it can get into the food. Because I can't answer the question, you know, what is safe, what's not safe. I can't tell you what's the best this and what's the best that until we've tested it. So, you know, I used to be able to say, you know, Momovation did an investigation on condiments many years ago. and We did it based on the ingredients. And if you do it based on the ingredients, it's very easy. You can say, well, this brand uses a bad oil and this brand uses a better oil. Right. So therefore, that's the bad one. This is the easy one. Well, the more I get into testing, the more I realize Eh, that's not always true, you know, and that's the complicated part, you know, where I really have to rely on these labs to be able to inform me and be able to tell my audience, this is the brand that's really looking out for you and doing their due diligence in testing for this beforehand. And this is the brand that isn't. And it is very obvious once you get the labs, which brands are looking out for us and are kind of aware of these things and which ones are not. And that's a hard cookie to swallow because that is not necessarily a conversation about organic being the best thing to purchase Mm -hmm. because in my testing, I have not seen that. We won't find glyphosate in organic products. We won't find all of these other things that they're supposed to avoid. But I don't think most of these small companies are aware of this issue and it's coming out in the testing that I'm doing. So 
there's a lot of categories of food that I have tested that I haven't completed yet because I still have a lot more things to test where I'm saying kind of like, oh, okay, I was eating that and I'm just going to stop eating that now because, you know, that's not okay. I definitely changed my ketchup. Right. The ketchup in my refrigerator is Heinz organic in the plastic bottle. And that wasn't what I had before. And the reason that's what I'm now using is because I've tested it and I know that it's under 10 parts per million. Do I know it has no PFAS in it whatsoever? No, because it's possible it could have some under 10 parts per million. But I know at least at this level, the other ones that I tested had it way higher than that. And so this is what I'm comfortable giving my family. So those are the kind of questions that I answer on Momovation. Unfortunately, it's usually a shocker <laughs> when, yes. we, when we send things out, <laughs> what it is and what it's not. And it's kind of like a disillusionment for me as well when I'm doing this because, you know, and kind of like I'm the organic fan girl. And, you know, I've always been really a big fan of organic products. But I think part of the problem in the industry right now is they do not consider processing issues and they don't consider packaging issues in the organic industry. And those are the two problems that they have. Now, brand by brand is very different, but the USDA organic seal, they have problems based on, well, they got to get this through the USDA, you know, and so they got to change the certification, which is this whole process. So it's not like I don't think that they want to do these things. I think that the problem is more complicated than that, where they're just kind of stuck on being able to change the animal standards. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, how are they going to get down to the plastics? So I think probably what's going to happen is as I keep testing and the other NGOs keep testing and finding these things, it's going to force them to company by company do their own due diligence to testing their mm, own I certainly supply hope chain. So. Yeah. And then that will trickle down to everybody else. But I do think that what I'm doing is really controversial. You know, there's a lot of people that do not like what I'm doing that are in the industry that are saying, you're giving us a black eye and it's not our fault. And I'm like, well, okay, that's nice. It's not your fault, but you're still giving it to the consumer. They're eating it and it's building up in their body and it's not going anywhere. You know, it's, it's not like glyphosate. Glyphosate, if you get glyphosate in your body, you're going to pee it out, Right. Most of it, most of it, trace amounts stay in your body, but most of it you're going to pee out. That's not the case with this chemical. This chemical stays. It's persistent. So it builds up over time. So these little tiny itty bitty parts per million, parts per billion, parts per trillion are building up in your body. And everybody has a different cup, so to speak. So it's like one person can have enough room for a cup of it. Another person could have enough room for 10 gallons of it. But we don't know who that person is, right? And we don't know when their body is going to start reacting. And so that's kind of the scenario that I'm trying to battle on my own, in my kitchen, in my living room, forming my community as best I can, based on pulling in all these experts, testing things at labs, and trying to give people the best information that they have. And it's not perfect, but it's basically what we have. And I'm just going to keep fighting and keep testing. You know what I'm saying? That's right, like, right. I don't have plans to stop. And I aggravate people all the time. I get emails from brands all the time that are mad. I get slack. But at the end of the day, I'm not doing this for them. I'm doing this for the woman who knows about this and is just 
what do I do? I want to answer her question and make her feel better by just giving her the answer and informing her life and being able to give her the ability to make better educated decisions. And I'm very much a feminist, Erin. Mm-hmm. And so when I see this work in food, I see the food industry is wrought with ignorance and not telling the consumer because the consumer is still female. You know what I'm saying? And we don't give a lot of respect. And so because we're female and we don't get a lot of respect, of course, our food, you know, and the ingredients in our food is ignored as well. Even though we have to go shopping and do all these things, we're still kept in the dark about a lot of things. So it's kind of for me like a feminist act to test these companies and showcase to women the truth of what they're buying. And then they will take their marketing money or their dollars and they will go buy what's better for their family. And as the other brands look to the side, they start losing revenue and start losing sales because their product isn't quite as quote unquote clean as the next one, then they're going to start to change their tune, you know, because at the end of the day, this is about money. All these brands need to survive. They need to be sustainable in their own right, sustainable as in profitable, right? Otherwise they're not going to be able to do everything they're going to do and support all the people in their company. So they're going to change. And so ultimately all you have to do is kind of peel back the layers of the onion and just kind of show everybody And it's not like I'm making claims. I'm just informing you of what the lab did, you know? So it's like, it's not even like, I'm not doing this in my kitchen, you know? I'm not testing for PFAS in my kitchen. I'm sending this off to an EPA certified lab. And they're telling me what they found. And then I'm informing my audience of what they found. So I'm hoping that over time with the testing that I'm able to do as fast as I can do it, that I'm able to answer a lot of these questions. The good news is every time I put out an investigation, things start happening very quickly. Like our period underwear investigation, I tested one brand that was called Nick. K-N-I-X, that ironically was very much a lobbyist for PFAS-free everything. And I was really hoping that when I tested her stuff, it would come up with nothing. But in fact, it came up with really high levels and I was quite shocked about it. But right after we put that out there, I think that she did a lot of changes in the background. And then she put out, like, I think it was like six or eight months later, she put out testing of her product. It was really funny though, because the testing that she has up on her website has her product clean a PFAS under 50 parts per million, but I'm actually testing at 10 parts per million. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. You didn't do the same test that I did. So I grabbed another pair of period underwear, sent it off to the lab again, and I found detectable levels, but they were under 50 parts per million. So technically she's not lying, but I'm still able to find it with my standardized levels. But that just goes to show you how quickly the market can change based on pressure because everybody that saw that investigation turned to her and was like, what the heck lady, you know what I mean? Here you are promoting PFAS free everything and you've got it in your own product and they fixed it. So they're not down to non-detectable levels yet, as far as I can see, but they are getting closer. And so that's how quick this can change based on a little bit of pressure and just kind of exposing the industry and what's out there. You are side by side with every other brand Everybody got an equal shot. We sent it all off to the lab. This is what I got. So little by little, I'm trying to do my thing. And again, I see this as a way for me to serve my fellow sisters that are just wrought with having to raise a family, do all of these things, have a balanced life, be present, be with my children, you know, work out enough, be clean, like and do all these impossible things. And now I'm supposed to worry about PFAS? What the heck? So just give that person the information she needs so she can just be like, okay, I got this. I know this. Leah did this testing and this is what I'm going to do. 
And that's what I'm trying to do is just make their lives easier. And I will just keep doing what I'm doing. Ketchup, I know, is the one food product you've tested so far for PFAS. What are some other food products that you're looking at testing? Oh, wow. I'm actually testing a lot of products right now. Let me pull up my little database that not all of them are ready yet. So like I'm doing peanut butters right now. Everyone in Momovation wanted to know about peanut butters. So I'm testing like 10 or 15 peanut butters. You know, we're doing jams and jellies. I'm going to be starting mayonnaise pretty soon. I'm doing spaghetti sauces, pasta sauces, tomatoes. I'm doing oils. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. Baby food. I'm doing baby food as well. That's all the food. So, you know, in terms of like different things, I've been doing green beauty right now. I've tested 85 different green beauty products. So this is like, you know, mascara and blush and things people put on their faces, but not conventional beauty, green beauty. And that's the one that we're probably going to have ready, like right after Thanksgiving or maybe right before Thanksgiving. I'm doing face masks. You know, I've been doing mm, food packaging. One. Like I know you were asking me before about food packaging. So I've been able to do some random spot check. If you go and buy that Reynolds nonstick aluminum foil, everybody thought that the nonstick aluminum foil was PFAS. And it's actually not. They're using a silicone. They're not using PFAS. So the nonstick Reynolds aluminum foil does not have any fluorine in it at detectable levels that I found. But if you go to In-N-Out Burger and you get an In-N-Out Burger, your burger wrapper will have something like 36 parts per million in the burger cover and the burger wrapper. I also tested Trader Joe's. Everyone loves that Chantilly cream vanilla bean sheet cake. That's my husband's favorite thing. I don't, we don't go to Trader Joe's all the time, but when I do, he always asks me for that vanilla cake. And I tested that, that didn't have PFAS in the packaging. We've also done parchment paper. Oh, let me tell you about that one that looks fun on Momovation. I'm interested to hear this. Yeah, parchment paper is tough. So we tested the Reynolds and Reynolds had it. So it's called Gibsera. I think it's like an Icelandic brand or a Finnish brand. They didn't have it. Cat Bright did not have it. But Reynolds had it. Costco parchment paper had it. And if you care, parchment paper didn't have it. So do you remember that if you care, baking parchment paper, it's like on the outside, it's like brown. Very familiar with them. Yeah. So that one's a non-detect. But Reynolds baking paper and Kirkland brand, they absolutely had it. So we would not be able to recommend those two brands at all. The other thing is if your audience has things that they want me to test, please let me know on Instagram. I'm at Momovation. You can also try to get into our Facebook group. We do a lot of planning in that Facebook group. So that one's actually female only. So sorry about that. That's just a bunch of women. But if you have women that are listening and they want to inform me of things that concern them, people bring it to me in the group all the time. And that's how we start these investigations is inside our Facebook group. People say, oh my God, Leah, what about this? And then everyone's like, oh my God, it's driving me crazy. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just start testing. And so if there's enough interest in something I just go at it and just start testing and finding out and I'm not able to give you the answers right away because these lab tests they take months and months and months and depending on how many products I send off I might not have a complete picture for many months but I will definitely start working on it and I'm really trying to answer questions that people have of food that they eat every single day because we have a right to know. To me, it reminds me of the GMO issue. Do you have a right to know if you have GMOs in your food or not? I feel like we have a right to know if there's perfluorinated chemicals in our food as well because this is kind of like in a gray area of the law. These chemicals are quote-unquote indirect additives. Indirect additives are chemicals that the FDA knows are in our food and has said the processing agents, 
the farming chemicals and all of these other things don't have to be in the ingredient label. And you don't really have to test and tell the consumer that they're there, but they absolutely know that they're there. And that's kind of like, to me, a right to know issue. These chemicals are absolutely, absolutely impacting our health every single day. And we don't know about them. And so I'm just going to keep testing until we can figure out a bigger picture of brands are looking out for us and which ones are not. I think it's interesting the issues of PFAs in parchment paper and aluminum. Aluminum is something which I think even if it had low levels of PFAs, a lot of people don't want to use aluminum for other reasons. I know I don't use it. I use parchment paper. In fact, if you care is often the one that I use, which... That's good to know that I'm using a good parchment paper. What are your thoughts on aluminum in general? Do you think it's something that should be avoided even if it is low in PFAs? Well, I mean, I think it's kind of a gray area. Aluminum, I will probably use maybe once every two months or so. You know what I'm saying? It's, I think it's one of those things where there's so many things in our world, we can't completely get away with it or avoid it in all instances. And for me, when I'm avoiding PFAS chemicals, or I'm trying to, I can't stay away from them 100% of the time, because it's impossible. No one can, even someone like me. Aluminum is like one of those things where we don't use it in our home for cooking, but it does on a special instance. I can't think of what it was. I'm not going to freak out if I have to use it like once every two months. So I'm saying aluminum, I don't think aluminum is great for you. Obviously, we know that there's a lot of studies to say that you probably should not be cooking with it. You probably should not be allowing it to get into your body. There's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't be. But for my purposes, I'm also, I'm in the world of, there's a lot of things that are bad out there. So if I'm going to use something that's bad once every two months, once a month, I'm not going to freak out over it because I believe that what's actually worse for you is stressing out over every single thing that could be bad. I can see that. Yeah, and that is going to kill you faster and be more efficient killing you faster with the bad things that are inside your body already than not using it. Like, for instance, you know, I think people, when they meet me personally and discover things like, oh, Leah, so what do you do for Halloween? And I'm like, I'll eat candy on Halloween because it's like one day of year <laughs> that I can eat a Butterfinger. You know what I'm saying? Like, I will do that. Those are things that I do. Right. And because I'm also of the belief that there are these things called eating disorders that we can create. And there's a lot of people who have eating disorders that use these food diets as kind of cover to not have to admit to themselves that they have an eating disorder. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to have like a balanced approach as well in my mind when I'm doing these things. So Halloween, I ate a ton of candy. I'm not even going to disagree that I didn't have a ton of candy. I did. I absolutely had candy. It's one day a year that I eat candy. You know what I'm saying? I don't eat Snickers bars. Those things are delicious, by the way. And I never get to eat them, you know, because they're awful. But once a year on Halloween, I will have Snickers, you know, and I will raid my children's candy. And then the next day we get rid of all the candy. So it's gone. It's just like a one day thing. For Christmas, I'm going over to someone's house. I don't have a food allergy. So this is different for people who have food allergies and get sick over food. You know, that's kind of very different. But I don't have those issues. So if I go to someone's house, and they make something for me, I will be like, okay, I'll eat it. This is great. Thank you very much. Because I, at the end of the day, want to have emotional balance as well as balance and food and avoiding these chemicals. 
And the other thing is I've got three boys and I'm not able to control every single thing and morsel that goes into their mouth. And at this point, what I'm able to do is control the food that I cook for them here in the house. And if they're outside and they get something else, there's nothing I can do about that. And I can't control the world. So I basically control what I can and I let everything else go. And then around holidays, I let it go too. I don't freak out about it. People are kind of shocked when they hear that about me. I'm like, no, because I know so much. My brain's got to shut off sometimes. I know more than most people walking around about the things that could kill you in the grocery store. So therefore, I just shut it off when I go to a friend's house and they have birthday cake or whatever. I just do my thing. And then I come back home and then I do what I got to do here. And that's how I've been able to create emotional balance with also at the same time knowing what is in everything. Because if you don't have a little bit of balance there, I feel like you could go a little nuts, like really, really, really crazy, especially with the labs that I see every day, you know, being able to know what's going on, kind of have to have that balance. There's things that I can control and things that I can't control. And that's also why on Momovation, we create that three-part series of not our favorite, better, and best, because the vast majority of the time, access issues are going to be in the better realm, right? And so at least you have that emotional cover to know that this is a better decision. It's not the best, but it's better. And that's enough for me today. That's enough for me today because bringing up family in this world of technology, the way it is, politics, the way it is, we got so much stress. The environmental impact of chemicals on our body is there and it's not going to go away anytime soon. So we got to be able to get through this and still enjoy our lives. And that's how I approach things. I don't know about everybody, but that's kind of how I approach things. I approach things from a similar way. When I'm out or at a friend's, I'm not 100% meticulous about everything that's being served. I do try to find restaurants that have better ingredients. And the other thing is with me, when I have people over, I do want to use better versions of comfort foods. And so for, say, something like Halloween, I do like to buy organic candy for that. You're awesome. You're awesome like that. We did that every single year except for this year. This was the first year we bought just regular stuff. And my husband said to me when we moved to this new house, he said, I do not want to be the guy giving out organic candy this year, Leah. And we had a fight fight about it. But he was like, please, for the love of God, Leah, can we just give regular candy out? And so this was the first year that I actually gave out regular candy instead of organic candy. And we had like 150 people come. So, oh, my God, I couldn't even think of what would happen, how much we would have spent if I would have had to buy 150. Like, because, you know, we put them out in the bowls. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, it's very expensive. Because, yeah, for the article that I wrote on Halloween candies, I've seen the price of them. And there's so much I've contemplated I should even include because do I want to really say they should spend this money? But I leave that up to the people. But you know what I think is cool, though? If you do that candy, you give away one piece yes. at a time instead of putting it in a bowl. And that, like, yeah, that's what I did. Free for all. <laughs> right, yeah. Because the free fall happened this year, 150 people, boom. It was like, and I think we spent $50 in candy, and that was bags and bags of it. It went so quickly. So, again, this goes back. I'm in the realm of absolutely, yes, buying organic candy every single year. And then this year, we didn't. In one sense, I say it's really important for us to, we want to do is we want to support these companies that are doing things better because we want to give them a bigger market share. At the end of the day, that makes everyone's lives better because they grow, we grow, and that's what you got to do. But then there's also that part where this year, I didn't buy that. And you know what? I'm not ashamed that it happened. It was going to be a fight with my husband. 
I said, all right, honey, you win. I don't even want to like go there with you. And that's okay too, because that's the answer to all of this. When people are listening to these radio shows and there's probably guests that come on, you know, that have done a certain way or do things another way, any way that serves your best purposes is what you got to do. And don't let people make you feel bad doing something else. It's the best thing for your family. It's the best thing for your life. If you want to be gluten-free 100% of the time or keto 100% of the time or PFAS, you can't go PFAS-free 100% of the time. It's just impossible. But if you wanted to try to do that, that's great. That is great. That's awesome. Do that. Just be careful not to let it take over your life. You want to need to have fun and joy as well because a joyless life isn't a life worth living. And that's the other part of it. Avoiding all these things are going to make us feel better, but you don't want to get in the realm of being obsessive mm-hmm. and sad and scared. That's just a realm of not being, let me be that for a while, and then I'll inform you of what it is, and then just go off and do your thing. That's kind of how I feel about it. I'm interested in the kind of the response you got when you did hand out organic candy, because for me, a lot of people said nothing, and who knows what they mean by that, but... I was actually impressed with a couple responses I got. One person, they didn't say anything about organic, but the fact that it was, I think, a lesser-known candy company, it was Surf Sweets, they seemed to see it as this, like, prestigious candy because it's more obscure. And I remember another person said, like, ooh, we got organic is kind of maybe trying to make the case of to their parents that not all candy is bad. I think they were excited about it in that way. Have you gotten any responses like that? Yeah, it's all kinds of different stuff. I remember last year, well, we didn't have Halloween last year. It was the year before that. The year before that, it was like, some people don't know what you're handing them, but I don't want to be the person that says, hey, here's some organic candy. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, no, no. I never said that. I just handed it out. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be that person, but some people did recognize what it was and they were like, oh my God, thank you. Like there were those parents. They were very, very grateful. There were other people that actually rolled their eyes at me, and I saw that. That was another (laughs) thing. You'll get that reaction. You'll get the reaction, and then you'll get the reaction of people who just don't even know what you're handing them, and they're just like, what's that? You know, they just take it. And But then most of the time, these are kids we're talking about. Kids are getting the candy. So it's like trick-or-treat, and they've got a bag, and you're just throwing one other thing into the bag. So they don't even know what you gave them. They just know that they got another thing. And so the vast majority of the reactions. Right. I think that's a lot of it. Right. That was it. And so, I mean, I just had to know when I'm buying candy for Halloween in those times, I'm literally thinking about it like, okay, this is me supporting the organic industry. This is me passing out better candy. Some people are going to notice, some people aren't, but I'm just doing this because I want to be part of the solution. That's how I thought about it. And that's, you know, the way I gave it out. And that candy that year, oh my God, I spent like, I think it was $120 in candy. It was quite a bit. And I didn't expect it to be that expensive. That was two years ago. And the year prior, I think I spent $80 in candy. But we were in an area where it's like there was a lot of kids coming by constantly. And then it's like the years that I don't want to spend that much on candy and I had the organic candy, I would give them one piece. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) The years that I had more, I would give them like four or five pieces. You know what I'm saying? And this year, my husband's like, I want to give them 10. (laughs) Like like that. 
Of course, I'm surrounded by boys here. So, you know, they've got different things that they want to do. And, he, you know, my husband went nuts on the decorations this year, too. And we have this area where we live. There's a guy down the street that has this whole creepy clown thing where you go into his backyard and he's got creepy clowns. And then some of them are real and they move. And it's like people come from all over. And we're right down the street. So we got a lot of foot traffic. And it was a lot of fun for me this year, too, because I actually was part of the stage, oh, so to nice. speak. So we have like all the stuff put in we have is it Chiron? Chiron, it's like the Greek god of death, and he's on the river stick. The problem was is we had this guy, and we can't get him to turn on. Once he turns on, he's like, go no further, and he says this whole thing, and it's really creepy. But it's really hard to get him to turn on. And the only way to get him to turn on is literally to hit him because I think the sensor is broken or something. So I was like, we got to figure out a way to stand there. And then I thought, hmm, maybe I could just dress up as a witch. <laughs> so I did. So I dressed up as a witch so I could be next to him. And then while I was at it, I just did my cackle because I have a really good witch cackle. And so if you go on the front of my Facebook, I put up some, my husband videoed it. And he was just like, oh, my gosh. And then people were coming by and they're like, oh, my God, you've got the best cackle ever. And I just really got into it. And I was saying that the kids could have have this poison apple or you can have some candy and rot your teeth and I would like laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so much fun. So that was kind of this year. Yeah, totally off topic, but that's what we did. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, it's great to hear about the Halloween stories, too. That kind of makes some fun for what's a very serious and could be somewhat of a sad topic. When you did hand out organic Halloween candy, which brands was it that you handed out? Oh, a lot of Surf Sweet. That's the brand I did. Yes. That's the one I usually handed out. I'm trying to remember. There was, is it Yum? I'm trying to remember what it was a couple years ago. Yum Candy? Yeah, I've also done that one because the thing is – those ones are the two most affordable right. I found, Surf Sweets and Yum. A lot of the ones, especially ones that make the chocolate, that's a little more. So I think the most affordable ones that you can hand out are those two brands. And then there's, what is the other lollipop brand? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Lovely. Yes, I've had that one. Yes, actually, I learned about that one from your article, and then I shared it in mine. Then we've got organic gummy bears that we actually, we have a little box of I'm not joking. Like we have a little box for the FedEx guy and anyone that delivers to our house, we have this little box and it's got water in it. And I've been asking them over the year, what do you want? And they're like, they want candy. They want chips. They want water. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I got them like organic Doritos and different candies. And so I have like organic gummy bears, black forest. So we've got a bunch of that, that we have in that little basket. And it just sits in front of our house so that people can just take whatever they want, whenever they want. And that's just always there. So we are buying a lot of that and that's in bulk. And so we'll get that from Amazon and put that in there. And then, you know, the Amazon guys, they want water bottles. You know, I've been trying to figure out a way to not have plastic with what I give them, but they're just telling me they're like, it's contactless. We don't want to fill it up and we don't want to touch it. And, you know, because of COVID, they're just like, please just give us plastic water bottles. So I have plastic water bottles there for them. And they're always really, really appreciative of that. And that's kind of like one of those things where I don't like that, but we still do that because I still want to serve them and say thank you for all of the hard work that they do for us. Because, you know, they go off shopping and they bring stuff back from Sprouts and Whole Foods for me. And, and you know, I really appreciate that. So we just have that there. So, and then the guy that invented organic Doritos, I actually know that guy and he's kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know how many of the organic products used to be. I used to have organic Cheetos and organic Doritos and organic, all kinds of stuff. And I think they just have organic Doritos and one other thing because the whole line didn't do that well. 
But that was based on sometimes these big, huge brands want to change and test things out. If it does really well, they keep going into it. If it doesn't, then they back away. So I think that was one of those things where it didn't work out quite the way it was supposed to. So they backed away a little bit, but totally took advantage. And that guy was amazing that invented that. That was a great idea he had. Mm -hmm. And I wish other people like, because, you know, I got to say, when I was in college, the two things that I ate a lot of, and I will freely admit this, was Doritos and Flaming Hot Cheetos. So I told you know, that was the funniest thing was like, yes, this is what my life was like in college as I was, you know, before I knew. Oh, mine too. I was not at all like this in college. Right, exactly. We went to fast food burgers all the time. Right. And then the thing that I understand today is doesn't matter. These types of products have cheese in them. So I'm going to depress you a little bit more about this processed cheese. Processed cheese has phthalate issues. And so that's the realm of where I'm going to do a little bit more testing next year is in phthalates. Phthalates come from plasticizers. And and a lot of times you're getting phthalates from PVC piping. And all the PVC piping out there is FDA approved, which is the bizarre thing. And non-PVC piping is not really FDA approved. So in factories and a lot of these places that, you know, have milk when you're milking a cow and the piping, a lot of that is FDA approved PVC piping. So when the warm milk goes through those pipes, it leaches the phthalates out of the piping right into the milk. And then as it goes down the chain and it goes into the factory and does all this stuff, you get more and more and more and more of these phthalates. Well, the worst processed stuff in the world is this powdered cheese. Because powdered cheese, if you can imagine how much processing needs to go into getting it into a powdered cheese, it's like a lot more than a yogurt or a lot more than just milk, that is reflective of the phthalate inside that product. So even though I'm like, yay, organic Doritos, you know, and I'm eating them, I still know in the back of my head that even if it wasn't organic Doritos, I'm still consuming phthalates. And so that keeps me from consuming more Doritos than I ever should. You know, it's like I don't have it in my cabinet and I'm eating it all the time because I know that there's those types of issues. So let's go into the realm of what you can do, okay? Because I think there's going to be a lot of people in your audience that are like, oh my God, everything's going to kill me. What is it that's not going to kill me or what's less likely to kill me? The answer to your question is the more you process your food in your kitchen on your own, the less it's going to have all of these things in it. So let's say, for instance, you want to make your own ketchup. If you make your own ketchup, and I haven't done this yet, so sadly I'm using an example of something I've not done. It's a hard thing to do. I've tried it. It's not easy. (laughs) Yes, it's not easy. My girlfriend, Jennifer, who has Nourish Kitchen, by the way, which is an amazing website that everybody should go to that has a bajillion recipes. Jenny is excellent. Yes, and she's one of the most amazing people in the world. I love her with a big L. L L-O-V-E. Love that woman. Me too. Spends a lot of time with her. Actually, ironically, spend a lot of time with her in England going to different dairy farms, organic dairy farms many years ago. Oh, wow. Her and her husband are just fantastic people. If you go to her website, there's a lot of things that you can make from scratch. That's the answer to a lot of these questions. What should I do in my kitchen is make it yourself. You boil the spaghetti, you put it together, you do as much as you can do in your kitchen on your own. Is your food not touching plastic? Is your food not going through pipes? Is your food not being great? You know what I'm saying? And all those places of manufacturing, that is the answer. That answer is actually backed by science. The more people eat out, and it doesn't matter really what restaurant, the more out you eat, and the more you're eating at restaurants, 
the more likely you're going to have these contaminated chemicals in your body. Those are phthalates, bisphenols, and PFAS. That's just the way it is. Because a lot of these things are gained through processing, manufacturing, and all that stuff. And when you go into a restaurant wrapped in plastic, it says this. Mm, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you go to Panera, if you just go to Panera, Panera is supposed to be great for you. But if you look at behind the scenes in Panera, they're taking something in a plastic bag. They're putting that plastic bag directly into hot water and boiling it in the bag and then warming it up and then putting it in your food. So it's like those are the kind of things that you're not seeing that are happening in restaurants, behind the scenes in kitchens that you're then eating. So just make it yourself. That's the answer to the question. There's no way to completely get this out of your life. It's impossible. If I can't do it, no one can do it. But the answer is the more you cook for your family from using simple ingredients, the less you're going to have this in your life. And that's reflected in the science. It's probably going to continue to be reflected in the science. And if you can do that for your family, I will do my due diligence to continue to test so that you can buy things as shortcuts and figure out what to buy. So if you do that with your family, I will do my due diligence and try to figure out what it is that you can buy that'll be safer. And let's just go about life like that because it really isn't a great answer. And there's also some good news happening. There are a lot of states that are starting to pass legislation on a lot of these things. California is one, for instance. California just passed a law to say that if there is toxic substances in your cookware, they have to have it right on their website, front and center. They have to tell you, front and center. They're banning all of these chemicals in baby products, juvenile products, for instance, booster seats, changing pads, infant carriers, nursing pillows. Those kind of things will be banned in like 2023. All of that will trickle down to the regular consumers in other states. There's good things happening. It's just, it's happening very slowly. This is also happening in textiles. There's a lot of things happening in textiles. There's a lot of companies that are putting less of these PFAS chemicals in their product or pulling them out. One industry that's actually really surprising is carpet. The carpet industry, a lot of them have already taken out all of the perfluorinated chemicals from their carpeting. So like if you go to Lowe's, for instance, and you buy carpet there, it's PFAS free. And then I just for just to check it out, went and found a carpet that did not have a claim on PFAS at all. And I tested that and I actually tested Mohawk, which is one of the bigger ones. And I tested, they didn't have any PFAS free claims, but they didn't have any PFAS in their carpet when I tested it. And I was like, this is really cool. So some industries are getting in front of the legislation before it happens. And a lot of brands are getting in front of this. And there's certain NGOs you can follow, like Safer Chemicals, Healthy Families. They put out this report every year called Mind the Store. And that is like their pressuring all of the retail stores on all kinds of chemicals. And so from phthalates and things to PFAS and things and all kinds of other as a big picture. And so they can tell you what stores are better at protecting your family than others. One of the stores that kind of shocked me is Apple Store. They've got an A rating because over the years they have done a lot to protect us from these chemicals. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I use everything Apple. So (laughs) that makes me very happy. Right, right. And I do too. Yeah. So they're actually at the top of their, you know, and these companies aren't perfect, but for what we have out there, they're getting the A rating as in they're trying the most. The other thing that you can, you know, be cognizant of is, um, you know, when you go shopping, there's a big issue with uh, bisphenols in thermal receipt paper. 
so people don't realize this, but you know, most of your exposure to BPA and BPS and those bisphenols is not actually food and water. Um, it's actually thermal receipt paper. So when you go to a store and you pay for something and then they hand you that receipt, that receipt is typically coated with a chemical called BPS, um, which is like a sister brother chemical to BPA. And because it's not bonded in plastic, it's like powdery on top of the uh, receipt paper. It gets into your system because, you know, it gets into your fingers and then it goes in that way. So it's like little things like, you know, maybe grab the back of the receipt as opposed to handling the front or maybe get an, you know, sending it to your email. That's what I typically do for several reasons yep. is the email. I would love for it just to go permanently. It also doesn't waste paper and I don't know about other people, but for me, it's a lot easier to organize things on a computer than it is having the physical items. Totally. There's a couple of momovation through our advisors, and they told us about this bisphenol issue with thermal receipt paper and how awful it was that women were doing all the shopping. And BPA is actually worse for women than it is for men because it's like an estrogenic chemical. It mimics estrogenic chemicals. So we petitioned Target two years before COVID and got about 30,000, I think it's 30,000, 40,000 signatures telling Target to reformulate their receipt paper, met with them behind the scenes, pressured them. And then within a year, it was done. And because Target took bisphenols out of the thermal receipt paper, CVS did the same thing and a bunch of other companies did it. So there's a lot to be said about the consumer and consumer reactions and supporting people and supporting NGOs that have a lot of these petitions that are out there, contacting companies behind the scenes. For instance, people that found out about our period underwear, they went to Thinks and Nicks and demanded a refund of their products. And the companies, a lot of them did refund a lot of people. And then I think they got just overwhelmed and stopped refunding people. But that told them, oh, geez, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so they started working on it. All of these things I think are solvable. It's just we have a road where we all have to kind of work together to make things better. Because I don't think that legislation is really the answer here because the companies are way far ahead of legislation. And the legislative bodies, they're not really set up to ban category classes they're really only set up to evaluate and assess these chemicals one by one and get rid of them one by one after years. So they're really struggling with the category class of BPA, the category class of PFAS, the category class of phthalates. They're struggling. And even if they wanted to, there's a lot of people that don't want this stuff banned because they're using it in products. It's easier. It's cheaper. So one by one, we can make better selections. We can support these NGOs. We can behind the scenes pressure the brands that we're very disappointed in when we find out that they have whatever in them, demand a refund. Those are things that we can do. And then we can eat things at home and produce them and cook for our friends and stay in a little bit more. And I guess COVID is already doing that. I don't know if we can actually hang out yet because of COVID, but <laughs> hopefully one day we'll be able to. COVID made I us, think. Yeah. And I wonder also, I wonder if people have less phthalates and PFAS in their body from sitting home from COVID? That's a very good question. I could see that. I do. I kind of feel like that might have been one of the good things that might have come out of this is people had to cook more for themselves and learn how to cook and bake bread and do all that stuff. That was actually very good for us all to do that. I don't know about everything that's been happening, but 
The bad thing is we've put everything in more single-use plastic, and that's not good for anybody. But the good thing is, is that we're cooking more for ourselves. And I think we're appreciating the time that we have together when we have it more. And we're also using other forms of technology. So I guess there's good and bad coming out of this. Although I would like to have gone back to a couple years ago and be able to stop that from happening. <laughs> <laughs> so would I. Yeah, so would a lot of people. Before you were asking me about water filtration systems. So if you go to EWG, the Environmental Working Group, they have a water database. And in their water database, you can plug in your zip code and find out what the contaminants are in your specific area. So not every area has PFAS in their water. There's a lot of places across the United States that have PFAS in the water. And it's very difficult to get out of the water source. But not everyone does. You can figure that out by going to that database. And then based on that, you can figure out what kind of water treatment you want. I would just say the water you have coming out of your tap is probably safer than bottled water for a lot of reasons. And one of those reasons is because bottled water is not regulated quite the same way that tap water is. So that's what I would say. But if you do have some things in your tap water that are concerning, there's like a difference between what is the health standard as in what type of water will not bring anybody any harm like a pregnant woman harm and then there's the legal limits of where these chemicals can be and so ewg is going to inform you about the health standard so hexavalent chromium which is the aaron brockovich chemical which is really awful there's a lot of water systems that have that chemical in their water but they're at legal limits. Those legal limits don't necessarily mean they're healthy limits. So there's a big difference between that. You can find that out at EWG, and then you can get different water treatment systems. If you have PFAS, the only two things that are really going to work are the reverse osmosis and the ion exchange. But we actually wrote about this just a couple weeks ago, and there was a study, an independent study, and it was paid for by the Wallace Genetic Foundation, and it went through the North Carolina PFAS Testing Network, which is with, I believe, the University of North Carolina. And they tested 89 water filters in 89 different homes across North Carolina in areas where they had a lot of perfluorinated chemicals, 12 different PFAS chemicals that they tested for. And they tested all these water filters against this. Again, I'm going to say this is just for people who have PFAS that's contaminating their water supply. But they were able to give us really clear idea of which systems are working for all of these PFAS chemicals and which ones are not working. And the interesting thing that I noticed was pretty much all these water filter brands are saying in one way or another that we get out PFAS chemicals, but they're not getting all of them. So some of them are getting the long chain or not getting the short chain. Some are getting the short chain, not getting the long chain. Some of them can get this chemical only, but this area. Some of them bring it down a little bit, but don't bring it to non-detectable levels. But this research that we just put up did, one of the best filters actually shocked me. I was quite shocked. It was a counter filter called AquaTrue, and that system is a counter system. It's reverse osmosis. You can find a coupon online on our site or another site. It's the same water system that Aaron Brockovich promotes, which wasn't the reason why I promote it. It was because based on these studies, these studies looked at it, and two different filters were looked at in two different homes, and every single chemical they tested it against, they had it in the system, and it pulled it out. And so that's why we were like, well, this is great because you don't have to spend 
$5,000 on a reverse osmosis system for your whole house or under the sink. This will just be on your counter. So that's something that's kind of cheap and easy to deal with. I'm not such a big fan of it being in plastic, but it is. But the other thing is if you've got PFAS in your water, you want to drink bottled water or you want to go with this system. You know what I'm saying? So it's like the world is not perfect at that point. So pick your poison, so to speak. And I would say avoid the PFAS is a worse poison. So that was the counter filter system. There were other ones that did really well with some chemicals and others with others. We put that all up on my website so that you can see which ones did which and broke it down into 12 different chemicals. So there's that. And again, that was paid for by Wallace Genetics Foundation. And it went through the New York PFAS testing network. So it's like, we didn't pay for that. We didn't do that. And it was completely independent. So the companies that have these, which I found funnily, the water filter companies kind of come after me when I put these things up and they get mad. You know what I'm saying? It's like, dude, I didn't do the study and it was independently done. So your <laughs> water lab results are kind of not really relevant when the independent lab from the university does them against you. So I kind of like, okay, whatever, dude. Getting a lot of those emails last week, which I kind of found were ironic, but that was the one system that it made me feel good because it was an affordable system. And so, yeah, we put that up on the site. But then there were some other ones that were kind of like a water filter system. I'm trying to remember what is it? Is it pure? I'm trying to remember. And it's just from your fridge. So it was like, oh, yeah, okay, so like the Culligan reverse osmosis system was pretty good. There was another one called EcoWater reverse osmosis. They did really good. And then there was a couple of refrigerator filters, Pure, P-U-R, P-U-R refrigerator filter did really, really good. And so there's these great ones that you can find that are affordable right next to ones that are whole house, unaffordable, not unaffordable, but a lot more going on there. So there are some good news and bad news with that. I would say that, again, not every brand that says they can handle PFAS handles all of them or does the same. So kind of like look into that, do your research. And so that's kind of like what's going on with water. But again, not everybody has PFAS in their water. So you don't want to run out and get reverse osmosis unless you have issues in your water that need reverse osmosis. It's a whole thing. And you want to remineralize your water. That's the other thing is if you get a reverse osmosis system yes. and you don't get one, there's an easy way to fix that. You can just put a pinch of salt, like a pinch of Himalayan salt in your water. And it does that. And I learned that the hard way. We had a reverse osmosis system that we had put into our home 10 years ago. And it was really helpful because my son had severe eczema. And I mean severe eczema. And he had, people don't even like believing when I tell them the story, but he had 23 food allergies, not even joking, 23 food allergies. We barely left the house. It was a mess. He had severe eczema. And there were very few things that worked for him other than just avoiding as many things as we possibly could. But one of the things that we did do is we got a reverse osmosis water system for the full house. And that really, really helped his eczema. And so it went from being severe to moderate, kind of like what we saw. And so we were really excited about that. And at that point, it was a brand that reached out to me and just said, hey, I'm a reverse osmosis company and I want to put the thing in there, you know, and we're like, oh, great, I'll take it. And it was a very expensive system. But what I didn't know back then is to ask enough about the water to be informed about it. And so what I started doing, because there's that trend where you want to drink, I don't know, 100 glasses of water a day and you're drinking so much water, you're like peeing every two seconds. I went through that, right? And I was drinking so much water that I started getting these really bad headaches. Now, my mother is a registered nurse, so I'm actually very lucky to be around a registered nurse all the time. And she's a public health nurse as well. So she's able to answer a lot of my questions. She says to me, she's like, honey, 
you've got reverse osmosis water, right? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, they're pulling all the minerals out. You might be getting headaches from the lack of minerals that you're getting. She's like, why don't you try to put a pinch of salt in your water? And I just did that. And boom, the headaches went away right away. But I was drinking so much water. I was literally peeing out the door all the time. And it was just like an ungodly amount of water. I think it was like 120 ounces or something like that a day. It was just a lot. So I don't, on a regular day, I was not going to get those types of headaches. But that is something that can happen. So all of that was cured with just a little pinch of salt. And then I would say if you get a system that's reverse osmosis, you want to think about putting some minerals back in there. So if you're a heavy water drinker, you don't get headaches and stuff like that, or you don't have some type of issue from that. But again, I'm not a registered nurse, but you can find a lot of this information about that by people who do that as well. We did not make recommendations on what to put back in because I want to be informed about that before we write about that. So I'm not down to that level yet. But when I do more testing, and eventually I'll get to that, be able to test the drops that you can put in your water to tell you which ones are good. Eventually, I want to do that and then do an investigation on that and be able to inform people that way. That was the advice given to me when I was putting in a filtration system below my sink is not to go with reverse osmosis. And I found that there are a lot of great options for systems that work by other ways. We're just about out of time, but before we go, let the listeners know where they can find your blog and any social media for it. Sure. So if you'd like to find my investigations, they're on momovation.com. That's M-A-M-A-V-A-T-I-O-N.com. You can also find me at Momovation on Instagram, and you can find me at Momovation on Facebook as well. On Twitter, I'm on there, but I don't check it as often. So if you tweet at me, I'm sorry if I don't get back to you for like a week or so. I'm at Dookie Boo on Twitter. I'm also at Momovation on Twitter. So that's where I can be found. And then, of course, if you look for my personal Facebook, I'm public, and it's Leah Segedy. So you can chat with me that way. I'm on Facebook a lot more than I am on any other platform. Thanks. I'll continue to look for you on all those different platforms. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Aaron. It was a pleasure being on your show. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. New episodes of the show are now released every Wednesday. Next week, I interview Seth Itzkin of Soil for Climate. Follow me on social media for more information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, go to iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher and subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore. You can also listen to all of my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus all of my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed. <laughs>